1: You've got this tug of war going on between the government and the Bank of England.
2: That doesn't lead to a stable situation.
3: We must face up to the fact
2: that for too long, our economy has not grown enough.
4: I'm prepared to do what it takes to get us through these difficult times, to get us through this difficult winter, and to come out stronger as a country.
2: You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Ewan Potts.
4: And I'm Caroline Hepker.
2: Well, it's been another busy week of political news, though. Thankfully for the Prime Minister, a little less dramatic than last week's market meltdown. Liz Truss's conference speech passed off broadly successfully, albeit with a short interruption from some Greenpeace protesters. Caroline, you were in Birmingham at the start of the week. What were your impressions of the uh, party's gathering?
4: So um, it was less busy, I think, than most people had expected. There were already rumblings when I was going up on the train. I was sitting opposite uh, quite a well-known, another well-known broadcaster in the UK, a very well-known one. Uh, and there were already kind of concerns that there weren't going to be that many MPs there. Also, this idea of whether it you know, whether it was bullishness from the Conservative Party or sort of slightly delusional, there was a real worry, I think, before Liz Truss's speech about how it was going to go down. Uh, you know, there was a U-turn on the Monday morning straight into the big first, well, this is the second day, but it was kind of the biggest day of the week already there. There was a U-turn. So there was a real kind of uh, feeling of anxiety, of nervousness, I think, when I was there. Because
2: it was quite a positive speech, wasn't it? I mean, I yes. guess you can't really deliver a speech saying everything's terrible. No, no party either does that, but... I was interested to see, I think Liz Truss in her heart would like to have that sort of Boris Johnson boosterism, but of course at the moment it's quite a tricky time to be full of boosterism, isn't it? Yeah. But it was it was broadly upbeat, wasn't it? And I thought it was it was it was a pretty competent speech and I thought she delivered it with a uh, com- with confidence as well. Yes,
4: although I will point out that, you know, she had to go back over all of the fundamental principles of the Conservative Party, sort of trying to reframe, you know, in some ways um, uh, her, her premiership, which had stumbled within the first few weeks.
2: And then, of course, uh, from Birmingham to Prague, Liz Truss attending a meeting with other European leaders yesterday. Not the EU, obviously, but a new forum taking in 44 countries. Russia and Belarus, not on the guest list, but the war and the resulting energy crisis, well, they were very much on the agenda.
4: Well, as to Anglo-French relations, the Prime Minister was posed the same question about Emmanuel Macron that she was asked during the Tory leadership election race. This time she gave a very different answer. He's a friend. She said, we're clear, the foe is Vladimir Putin. So that's quite a change.
2: (laughs) Well, let's uh, review the week now with our managing editor editor for European Economy and Government, Ben Sills. Ben, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Now, it's been a better week, hasn't it, for Liz Truss, than uh, last week. Talk us through the significance of this uh, meeting uh, with the European leaders yesterday, because there was some doubt about whether Liz Truss was going to attend at all. It's been reported.
5: Yeah, I mean, this is it's, it's a big shift from the Johnson era, isn't it, when kind of bashing the Europeans, picking fights with the Europeans, going out of your way to, to engineer conflict with the Europeans was one of the basic political tactics that Johnson used. And every time he got into trouble, um, you know, the Europeans knew it wouldn't be long before um, there was some new controversy uh, they were being blamed for. truss is obviously taking a pretty different uh, approach one of the one of the things actually that was very striking about her uh, conference was just quite how much criticism there was of the johnson years there uh, both both truss and, and kwawateng were really quite damning in their assessment of the particularly the economic legacy which they've they 've inherited from their uh, Tory, obviously, Tory predecessor Boris Johnson, and with the Tories having been in power for 12 years, um, I think that you know you need to see the outreach to the Europeans within that context, um, and also I think of the fact that, generally speaking, her, her her policy positions are all over the place at the moment. She mm. she ditched the signature um, tax cut at the very beginning of of the um, of the conference. Um, it's not clear how much of her um broader agenda she's either going to be able to get past the office of um budget responsibility or the or the parliamentary party and um, the northern ireland protocol is probably fairly far down her list of priorities uh and so i, I think that she probably took one look at that as it came up on um uh, on her agenda and thought my goodness I can't, I can't afford to have another another battle going on this week i'm just gonna have to play nice with these guys
4: yeah absolutely um well of course there's not just kind of trying to make a change abroad here at home the major change that has happened is mortgage rates and quasi quarting was we speaking to banks um earlier this week you know trying to kind of reassure uh, people and the cost of living crisis is now the major issue facing this this government and it's it's quite a radical um set of problems that Liz Truss and quasi quarting face
5: yeah and they've made it worse haven't they mortgage rates have jumped since their ambitious budget for growth which was announced i think it's two weeks ago now it feels like an eternity um but they've made made the cost of living crisis worse they've offered explanations which are at best disingenuous i don't think anybody who understands even the most basic things about financial markets believes them when they say that the pound the pound crashed and mortgage rates jumped on the day of quateng speech because Vladimir Putin had invaded Ukraine seven months previously, um, and I think when they're trying to revive confidence in in the economy and indeed their their, their management of it, offering those sorts of you know unbelievable, non credible explanations is not doing them any favours.
2: Ben Sills, thanks so much for giving us your analysis. That's our managing editor for European Economy and Government. Well, Britain's grid operator says that in one scenario, some customers face the risk of three hour power cuts this winter. That's according to National Grid's latest winter outlook, which also included for the first time the impact of having no electricity imports from continental Europe.
4: Well, joining us uh, this morning is our Bloomberg energy reporter, Will Mathis, to discuss. Look, an event like this, which uh, would most likely come on a cold, calm day with no winter, according uh, to the regulator, that would supposedly trigger emergency measures. Will, I wonder if you can just put all of this into context. I mean, the newspapers are screaming, you know, winter blackout. What are the actual chances of it happening?
1: The chances are much higher than the government would like, and they the likelihood is really out of their control because it all depends on what happens with the weather and what happens in other parts of Europe where we, you know, here in the UK rely on for electricity. Uh, France's nuclear units are, more than half of them are completely turned off right now. And if imports were to be cut and, uh, you know, if Europe needed their power for themselves and they weren't sending any to the UK and we had a lot of demand and not a lot of supply from all the wind farms, then there would really be nothing to do other than to forcibly shut off demand, you know, shut off some customers mm. and able to
2: keep the balance between supply and demand. This is a, a regular exercise, isn't it? Obviously, they did this last year. A lot has changed, hasn't it, over the last 12 months. How, how, how much more likely are blackouts this winter than they were last winter? Well, usually
1: they're not likely at all and this year they are, you know, a real possibility. And so it is just that uh, difference. I mean, this this report comes out every year, and Mm -hmm. I'd be surprised if it's ever been on the front pages of the newspapers before, because it's just normally kind of a a record-keeping exercise that, you know, experts and, and traders would look at, but everyday people wouldn't really have to worry about, because ultimately what people care about is, you know, will the power be on or not? And this is, you know, The first time that there is a real possibility that the answer could be not
4: yeah i know it is shocking is i mean it's it's incredibly rare for there to be blackouts you know and it's usually caused by a storm or some significant event um look the, the government is basically saying this is a european issue is it really
1: well it's it's i mean You know, the U.K. is out of the EU, but it is still a part of Europe. So if it's a European issue, it's our issue, too. Um, The U.K. is incredibly dependent on Europe for electricity. That's been, uh, you know, a part of the plan of the energy transition. You know, as we're shutting off coal plants, we're building huge cables between the U.K. and Europe. More of them are, are in the works. We're already connected to France and the Netherlands and Belgium. A big cable was just run to Norway that came on earlier this year. So, you know, if there's an electricity shortage in Europe, there's an electricity shortage in the UK. Um, so we're, we're completely interdependent. I, I don't think you can really
2: split um, the
1: UK and Europe's energy mixes, really.
2: So just talk us through what these emergency measures would mean in practice. So say we have a, a very cold day, the wind stops blowing. France says we've got no power to give you because our nuclear plants are, are partly shut down. Norway, I understand, has got some problems with its hydro plants not delivering as much as... Uh, electricity as they would normally do. W- what what do the emergency measures look like? Well,
1: the, the emergency measures would be to decide uh, what demand they could shut off, you know, to, th- and this is something that the grid has the power to do and they would have to see, you know, they would probably prioritize, you know, big big businesses before they, they cut off homes but they would just have to do it wherever they could and you know there, there's different possibilities that it, depending on how much time they have to make these decisions mm-hmm. you know they could happen very suddenly but you know there is fairly good forecasting for wind within days you know we know pretty well today what kind of wind we'll have tomorrow so it wouldn't necessarily be like a you know, all minute by minute decision. There could be some planning, but um, they're going to be difficult choices to make.
4: Yeah, so there might be some warning, but, um, and perhaps business would bear the brunt first, but that doesn't mean that householders would be um, excluded. Um, Look, just at the Conservative Party conference, we we're talking about that. It happened um, just this earlier this week. I mean, few references to clean energy, to the green transition, to alternative energy. All of that stuff was pretty thin on the ground. What of the UK's net zero pledges of trying to cut energy use as we try to get um, you know, to grips with this new energy market?
1: Yeah, well... One thing that has definitely been missing and there has been a lot of criticism of the UK for is energy efficiency. Mm. You know, To hit net zero targets that are legally binding in the UK, the housing stock will have to get a lot more efficient. And the UK has the least efficient housing stock in Europe. It's incredibly leaky old um, houses. And that means that we are going to use a lot more gas and power than is really necessary. Mm. The government hasn't really prioritized changing that, either to address the energy crisis or to realize its climate goals, even though those things actually really converge.
6: The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th
2: Now, it's been two weeks since the Chancellor unveiled his package of unfunded tax cuts. That sparked that market firestorm, driving the pound to a record low against the dollar. The Bank of England was forced to intervene in the bond market after borrowing costs soared. But the buying of of long-dated gilts is due to end next week.
4: So is the UK really over the worst of the market turmoil? Well, I was discussing that earlier on Bloomberg Radio with our opinion columnist, Marcus Ashworth.
3: I think... Everyone's getting a little bit, uh, what's the word, I'm looking for? sensationalist about um, the bond market. It's a very complex uh, scenario, These uh, liability-driven investment, which is at, at the very end of the gilt market maturity terms. The gilt market is essentially two, two beasts. A regular bond market up to about 15, 20 years in maturity, which is you know foreign investors coming in and out, and, uh, and regular uh, fund managers will... At the longer end, 20 years out to 50 years, uh, including often the next link market as well, uh, it's very much the domain of domestic insurers and pension funds, and it's got over leveraged as we can find the pension regulator has been a steep wheel by uh, allowing people rather than buying yields with very, very low yields, uh, they've been allowed to leverage them uh, to sort of essentially uh, give more attention to the equity and infrastructure and high yielding and liquid parts of their portfolio. It's obviously come badly wrong. The gilt market uh, needed some uh, systemic intervention of the Bank of England, which acted very swiftly. And they have done uh, not quite 4 billion of a potential up to 65, actually up to potential of 100 billion because uh, quasi Kwarteng gave them a a window. So there's um, more to be done. Uh, It needs to be up to the October 14th ending of this package from there onwards uh presumably held in reserve the bank of england can step back in if need to be but this is not to stop yields going higher this is not to provide liquidity for people to do what they want to it's purely to stop the breakdown of the market as happened on uh, uh end of september
4: i pick up on the comments from a uh, policymaker jonathan haskell who pushed back against the government um you know d- effectively kind of putting Liz Truss's administration in its place saying that you know you can't kind of s- sweep under the carpet the idiosyncratic the unique to you the UK uh, aspects of the kind of uh, bond market and the pension crisis that we had in, in recent weeks is the Bank of England now kind of in the ascendancy again does it mean that we're back to kind of a strong Bank of England as an institution do you think?
3: Strange way of framing it. I mean, I think Haskell's comments, uh, he has—it is justified to, to highlight the fact that um, the Bank of England was separate, not the MPC, which he's part of, but the Financial Policy Committee stepped in and did the right thing. Um, that's their financial stability mandate. As far as the inflation mandate, which he talks about uh, specifically, well, um, look, the Bank of England has a job to do, which it did very well. Um, with regard to where it, how it's, conducted itself in inflation. It's a completely different matter. Bear in mind, Mr. Haskell was one of the key advocates of negative rates, which I suspect wouldn't have gone down quite so well as you may have thought at the time. Nonetheless, he's right to point out that this was a uh, fiscal event, or what you want to call it, which was presented without its homework. Uh, the markets have reacted uh, perhaps more violently than they might have done, but they've did it for a, a reason. And I think the Bank of England is clearly playing um you know understandably look, we, we are here protecting you and uh, the, the whole system but you know to, for this thing to settle down we need the OBR which by the way today gives its 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 detailed uh, presentation to the Chancellor so at some point we are desperately hoping before number 23rd budget date he will reveal I think he has to go to Parliament first and then uh, hopefully the middle of this month he will present uh we also October 10th is an important date because we, then we have the pension regulator who needs to be questioned a lot uh, and indeed, uh, I believe uh, Cunliffe will come and present to them as well, the Treasury Select Committee, October 10th. So a lot of things going on. We need to see the homework done by the Chancellor presented you know, from the OBR. Uh, clearly, the Bank of England is right to uh, make clear its unhappiness with the way that the events have happened. Do you think that
7: once the Chancellor has that information from the OBR, that'll spell the end of Trussonomics? Well,
3: that's a searching question uh no i just think they they should have presented it if they wanted to do these these things They're perfectly entitled to, and it, it makes an economic sense we've seen for a lot of people around the world some surprising sources uh brought krugman onwards that you know this this makes uh some sense it's the question of how you go about it they didn't roll the pitch they didn't uh bring the debt markets along with them and now the debt markets are bitten back hard and and their lessons must be learned from this that uh the, the playing by the orthodox rules still has to be done uh, if they wish to change things they need to do it in a, in a steady and clear and um, fully funded and, and costed basis
4: so that was Bloomberg opinion columnist Marcus Ashworth speaking to me and to Stephen Carroll just earlier on the program um yeah really interesting view from, from Marcus about uh, how the UK guilt markets recover
2: yeah, that's Marcus's view. Interesting to get the view of a major investor now about uh, the UK. Scott Teal is Chief Fixed Income Strategist at BlackRock. He spoke to us a little bit earlier on Bloomberg Radio.
7: I think it's, it's pretty clear that the policies, particularly the additional spending policies in, in form of tax cuts that was added on to the energy cap, uh... you know expected announcements i mean caught the markets unaware at a time when it's not a good idea to catch markets unaware right and so you saw the kind of classic overspending unfunded spending kind of reaction so pound lower rates higher curve steeper that's a very much a pretty idiosyncratic response to a government adding into spending what the bank is trying to combat inflation. So it puts the bank in a very, you know, tough position because they have to respond to the instability, right? That's mm-hmm. part of what their remit is. And and they have to make sure that markets function properly. So they announced a bond purchase program right at the same time that they are raising rates and and, and embarking on quantitative tightening and is selling the bonds that they bought as part of the QE program. So it puts them in a very tough position. I push back a little bit on that. It's just a kind of, you know, market conditions more generally. This is obviously a very idiosyncratic specific thing to the UK introduced by the government's plan. Do you think that the Bank of England will have to extend that emergency program if the current plan is for it to end on the 14th of October? Well, you know, most plans are are best if they never have to be employed, right? I mean, that's like the classic, uh, you know, even the Europeans have have come to realize that over the years. And obviously, the bank has employed some of the purchasing already. You know, the the first reaction was to see a dramatic turnaround in long-end UK interest rates, which I thought was the most interesting, where you had 100 basis point up, 100 basis points down. It's really remarkable volatility. And as I was mentioning on TV, you had a 25 to 40 percent return on long-dated fixed-income gilts in one day, right? Which is just, I mean, uh, you know, something you can't really think about. And so the idea, you know, what we've seen recently though is that um, the kind of the concern has come back into the Mm. market, right? So we've seen rates move higher, uh, inflation expectations in the UK move higher, which is, I think, the right reaction because this is more putting more money into the system, uh, and the pound slipping. Um, and so I think it'll be—you uh, know—it's going to be very market dependent. The bank would obviously love the Bank of England would love not to have to do anything anymore, um, but uh, but we'll see how it, it pans out. The first market, the the announcement plan was significant and it did bring stability back, but we'll see how the how it uh, it it goes forward.
4: Do you think though um, you that know, it was to do with the pension fund selling um, assets to rebuild their kind of cash buffers? Has that come to an end? Has there been enough time for those pension funds you know that, that are pretty complex for them to 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 look at their books? carefully enough now Has yeah been I th- enough time? yeah
7: i mean i think this is the, the the issue is around the kind of the the volatility of the movements yeah. right M- markets trending one way or another you know people can deal with that market participants can deal with that And that's exactly why the bank steps in because there's too much of a move in too short a time you can't react in a way that's that makes sense um, and so what I would say is that it, 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 they're all built on each other, right? So if the banks, uh, if, the, if the government obviously were to, to step back further from its U-turn further on some of its plans, I would obviously be positive. If the, if the bank calms the markets down, that allows the pension fund, asset liability, matching programs mm. to adjust more normally. And most importantly, it allows the market to function in the normal you know business and that's what we really need right and then we've seen that come back and that's exactly the gov- the banks uh, you know reason for intervening but from the fiscal point of view though yeah. will the obr yeah. forecast whenever we get it will that be enough to calm the fears that started this all to begin with. Well, it has to be realistic, right? I mean, obviously, what we're what we're looking at here in the UK, even by the bank's own acknowledgement, before any of the government's plans, was a was a recession in the UK, right? The Bank of England is interestingly one of the only central, developed market central banks that's actually forecasting a, a recession while they're raising rates, right? And then we call this a trade-off between growth and inflation. Um, and so, you know, I think for the, for the estimates that come out of the government in terms of the growth path going forward, because that's what they will target as the ability to uh, kind of uh, effectively fund the programs, um, it has to be realistic. And if it's not, it's obviously going to be viewed as obviously further kind of vol- you know, volatility ahead.
4: So that was Scott Teal, Chief Fixed Income Strategist at BlackRock, speaking to Stephen Cowell uh, and I. I think the real kind of proof is there are several dates, as Marcus was mentioning. There's uh, the kind of initial OBR view that's going to government. When will we get sight of that uh, in terms of uh, the government's fiscal plans and what the independent watchdog makes of them? And then you've got the 14th of October when supposedly the Bank of England's intervention comes to an end. Yeah,
2: it'll be interesting to see the effect that all of this has on the house housing market. We had that uh, house price uh, data from Halifax this morning. This is just monthly figures and they tend to be quite volatile. But house prices did drop very slightly in September. I think many commentators think that that is going to uh, roll on and become uh, more severe as uh, we go into mm. uh, next year. Some very interesting data on mortgages, uh, fixed rate mortgages uh, touching 6% Uh, in uh, the UK over the last week or so. So those mortgage rates have really spiked in the last couple of weeks and they haven't come
4: down. No, that's the first time since 2008 that you have seen that kind of uh, fixed mortgage rate being on offer nothing less than 6%. Bloomberg
5: UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in
2: London.